this time on Watchers of Tomorrow, remember to reboot your system. Welcome to Watchers of Tomorrow, the sci-fi review and critique show that whose ancient civilization we know nothing about and you can't remember the name of well until it shows up later and is ruined by video games. I'm Gefwin and I'm joined as always by my friend and co-host Dr. Izix. Hi! And we are at what is um, one of my favorite episodes, even though it's kind of a nothing sauce of an episode. It, it like it, it doesn't do a lot it's just kind of there but but i've always really liked it personally well, same uh it's you know an episode where there's things that are happening and there's kind of a mystery and uh the solution just kind of falls out onto their lap but you know still you're you're sort of a hints of things in the wider universe that are kind of interesting and uh you know kind of how they deal with the situation kind of shows off some of the uh you know the, the the bits of the characters and things like that so that's kind of cool yeah it's another one of these like space archaeology episodes we've uh, f- found some ruins and we have to uh, do a thing i always have found that kind of uh kind of an odd little inclusion in in uh, space stuff i mean it it goes back to the the original way that that space travel fiction is really just explorative ocean like mm-hmm. age of exploration fiction it's like oh we've uh, landed on this uh, foreign land here and uh, the natives are upset with us because we killed their leader again uh, but hey we found some cool temples yeah which you know because of the time periods that some of that was being written and the ways that it that all of this fiction kind of goes together you kind of have a mix of the like age of exploration majesty of the sea looking at various random little tropical islands where anything could be happening and also this obsession that certain uh europeans had with ancient civilizations and possibly advanced civilizations yeah. uh, like the myth of atlantis which was popping up uh, just around the civil war somebody wrote a really racist book about it oh uh, things like king solomon's mine you know you had this ancient ancient jungle temple etc because mm. they were finding ancient temples when they were like you know exploring africa and uh, they couldn't explain how it got there because the people who lived there couldn't have built them that would be silly <laughs> never mind that you know they actually did build them and you know had their own civilization here but because you guys couldn't you know figure out how to like not be super racist you know you just assume that they couldn't have done it so you know yeah so coming out of that is this idea of these these ancient civilizations with secrets we cannot know in the modern world etc etc um very very ancient aliens conspiracy theory sort of stuff but they Mm -hmm. hadn't invented the alien part of it back then (laughs) Uh, that comes in now with things like star trek and other science fiction properties incorporating it into their future mythology where you know sometime out there in the galaxy while we were still evolving as humans there were these massive galaxy spanning empires of which we knew not indeed uh it wasn't just cuckoo con running around there telling people to build uh, cities badly uh, you know, there is these grand empires that spread from one end of the galaxy to another, and they had a thing that could was a stellar converter, and 
these other guys could, uh, you know, move in planets through hyperspace or something like that. And all sorts of crazy magical stuff that, you know, you know, Aldea is like nothing compared to them, you know? Yep. These guys could move stars. These guys had a something or other magic gun. These guys were the slaver empire that stasis locked technology. <laughs> well, of course, you know, here's me th- over here is thinking it's like, well... If these, you know, giant space empires happened at different points in time, you know, the later ones probably ran across the ruins of the previous ones at some point. And are, would they react the same way that we're seeing here in the uh, in, in Star Trek? Or uh, are they just going to be like, we're just going to leave this here for later people to find? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's just Mass Effect. Now you're just doing Mass Effect. Yeah, cyclical galaxy empires. As you really get, a, get around to playing those games, you know? <laughs> <laughs> the the legacy the legacy collection whatever they called it the legendary edition with all three is pretty good i'll have to check that out then uh anyway we're talking about the episode called contagion wait is this a disease episode uh no oh okay. i know it feels like they could have used that for any number of their disease episodes they always seem to have a name that is related in a way that you really have to kind of think about Rather than something that's like, yes, it's a disease episode, so it's contagion. Well, here the contagion is a computer virus, sort of, kind of. Yeah, sort yeah. of. Or it just could be ransomware, you never know. <laughs> I mean, it's more like ransomware. But yeah, random computer something. So this episode was written by Steve uh, Gerber in collaboration with Beth Woods. Uh, I have very little information on woods uh she did some story work in season three later on uh, sins of the father but that's the only other piece of information i could find about her writing and gerber is best known as a writer for marvel comics because he has the distinction of creating the character howard the duck indeed so uh which uh is okay in the comics just mm-hmm. the, the movie completely ruined the <laughs> reputation but uh, the comics were not as bad as the movie yeah the uh the, the movie is one of those films that is like with somebody being like threatened to like that they had to make this movie and you know because <laughs> it's like yeah there's just some things that are happening some of them are funny but most of them are just cringy and kind of awful and yeah <laughs> yeah yeah it's before they knew how to make superhero movies you know yes it's like it's just it's going to be for kids but you know not because it's howard the duck which is not really a kid-friendly uh, uh you know character there so you know and that's it for the writers sometimes we got 20 writers on these things so this is fine mm-hmm. uh guest starring we only have a couple this is a very on ship sort of episode thalamus rasula i apologize i'm probably pronouncing that a little wrong is playing captain donald verily he did a lot of acting in the 70s and 80s on movies like uh Blackula and Willy Dynamite, which I haven't heard of. I need to find now because that's a heck of a name. Yes. <laughs> uh... He was also on a lot of TV shows like Sanford and Son and What's Happening. And he also uh, played, um, Le- aside LeVar Burton, playing his father in Roots. Hmm. Also in uh, things you've probably never heard of, uh, like The Cop and the Kid and The Fitzpatricks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but uh, I guess uh, one thing I have heard about is uh, Dragnet, the 
the 80s 90s version which, oh yeah. yeah which was a I thing i remember hearing of that <laughs> also new jackson radio show that's been around for a while yes and also carol seymour who um has played a lot of things this is her first appearance on star trek and then later she's going to be the alien scientist in the episode first contact not the movie mm-hmm. she's going to be a romulan in face of the enemy the hologram in voyager a reoccurring hologram called mrs templeton um, <laughs> she's also oh, been yeah. in in things like quantum leap and babylon 5 and she voiced characters in star wars knights of the old republic and mass effect we brought back yeah. round we're, we're, we're <laughs> back, right back of where we started here nice <laughs> Now that we were talking about it, I need to actually look up who she voiced in Mass Effect, just from my own curiosity. Well, in uh, Dragon Age Origins, she uh, played several characters. Keeper Marathari, Sister Thielhid, uh, Grand Cleric Elemena. Any of those ring a bell? She was uh, in... I haven't played Dragon Age in years. She played one of the... I think she played a doctor. Looks like she played the doctor and the Alliance medical doctor in Mass Effect. Cool. I remember that character. I've talked to them. It's also an Elder God in Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Oh, that's interesting. Hmm. Never played that. Oh, no, that was the movie. Oh. <laughs> Actually, they did make a game based on that movie, but... Oh, my. <laughs> I don't know if she would be in that. <laughs> a movie based on a game has a game based off of it. Uh-oh. It was that kind of age. <laughs> it was a different time. Yeah, suddenly, I'm having flashbacks to the uh, Legend of Zelda CDI game. <laughs> that was based off a cartoon that was based off the video game <laughs> that wasn't based i don't think that was based off the cartoon i think it just wound up having a similar graphical style maybe i don't know this is not a zelda podcast so we don't have to answer correctly <laughs> that cartoon wasn't wasn't popular enough to have a game based off it <laughs> true i do remember it's not a zelda that. podcast but i own every episode of that cartoon on dvd <laughs> so it could be a zelda podcast hmm. maybe maybe we'll uh have another april fools episode someday and uh <laughs> this will not be it because that would be too predictable now anyway <laughs> so that's everything we, may as, we can jump in there's actually not a lot going on in this episode despite how complicated it seems to be yes because plot points so the enterprise has received a distress call from their sister ship the yamato because this is before they had introduced cgi into their ship stuff so every ship in this series had to be one of three models yes and uh well we already had the enterprise model as long as we don't let everyone actually see what the uh you know, registry and the name is on the side uh, you know this is just a different ship now hooray yeah the Yamato has gone down in the neutral zone, which you should not be in. Yes. Don't so, do that. Uh, so yeah, you, <laughs> someone's been naughty here. But they're suffering from mass system failures. They've downloaded the Yamato's log before they arrive in order to find clues, possibly. Mm-hmm. Uh, they find a lot of logs from the captain, Verily, who is exhausted and pretty pissed off that his ship is falling apart. Well, it's, it's like there's another episode in Star Trek Next Generation later where there's like nanobugs infecting everything and it's like it's kind of like that yeah they they just (laughs) these computers that are the most advanced things humanity has ever made running these massive titan ships that are basically like their own little weapons of mass destruction Mm -hmm. coupled with the most advanced exploration craft the world has ever seen have the buggiest as hell computers (laughs) yes (laughs) And, uh, you know, I guess we could uh, always look back to the uh, original series episode, the, uh, the the ultimate computer, 
where the it was so buggy that it was uh, self aware and decided that it wanted to like be in charge. Yep. Yeah. So um, maybe that's what's happening, and these these uh, are just its growing pains in order to uh, you know uh, manifest the consciousness. Wouldn't surprise me. The number of times that happens, they really should just have a <laughs> protocol for the computer has gained self-awareness. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that would uh, save them some uh, trouble throughout the series, I think. So the log also explains why his ship is sitting in the middle of the neutral zone. He started to hear from archaeological expeditions that were investigating the Iconians, legendary world-spanning empire, etc. He has found their homeworld in the neutral zone. Because the Iconians had super advanced technology, the likes of which the world has never known, he felt it worth risking a trip into the neutral zone to find the planet before the Romulans did. Cool. But... Uh, so does this mean you've picked up, like, some, uh, I don't know, special steel, uh, you know, alloys that are, like, super good that won't rust forever? Maybe. All right. <laughs> they could have some of those. I think they already have some of those. So... He wants to tell them more, but then um, the Yamato's magnetic seals decay and it explodes. Yeah, just like kaboom. And, uh, you know, after a little bit of uh, being all like, oh, gosh, it's exploded. We see like the saucer section kind of floating towards them and it's like disintegrating, but kind of in a weird way because it's like the, the surface of it's disintegrating. And then there's just like the interior structure kind of there. Yeah, it's kind of weird. That's weird. It's a nice effect. Yeah, yeah. I have to agree. They but do yeah, some it's cool a, stuff with models. Yeah, it's 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 very much a well. That doesn't really make sense in terms of how these things are supposed to like explode. But cool, all the same. <laughs> so a Romulan warbird appears as soon as the motto explodes. Hmm. Um, they hail it and they're talking to a commander, Taris, who orders them to leave. Picard says they're going to leave when they're good and ready. So screw you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and for once the uh, Romulans are like not totally like uh, you know it's like oh this is going to be a war immediately because you know they might you know are being like slightly reasonable here or something like that so that's kind of well they're weird. also <laughs> in a place they're not supposed to be yes so Picard <laughs> so wants everyone to explain what in the world just happened and Jordy tells him that what happened was an incredibly unlikely set of malfunctions happened all at once mm -hmm. that caused the failure of the antimatter containment and then the automatic ejection system that's supposed to prevent it from doing that also failed and then their secondary systems also failed and mm. their containment system also failed yeah. <laughs> so uh you know everything just decided to stop working simultaneously in a very inconvenient manner and though and thus you know Jordy's worried that this might be a failed design flaw. If they can't find it, the same thing could happen here. Hopefully, uh, we've not run into any uh, long-term, uh, uh, you know, ship behavioral uh, quirks that have, you know, caused us to be, you know, marginally aware that there might be something wacky going on, uh, and thus, you know, sort of uh, building up a, a, a pre, you know, uh, anxiety-inducing sort of uh, uh, vibe to all the situation that, you know, maybe the ship that we have is not so great now everything's just going to start going uh, wrong now as opposed to you know over time yeah your ships yeah. might just i don't know wear out suddenly yeah <laughs> be, be afraid it's like a geometro picard keeps going over the yamato's logs looking for mentions of the iconians uh they found an iconian artifact with star charts 
that they said were incomprehensible until they accounted for millions of years of stellar drift. Then he found the location really easily. Hmm. Uh, but then when they got there, they were probed, and then his ship started to fall apart. All right, so we uh, pulled a, a Stargate, uh, you know, just, you know, wind the universe backwards. Yeah, mm -hmm. you went to look at your, your, your uh, discovered, uh, you know, super planet there, and uh, some bad stuff happened. You got probed, and then it, everything became uncomfortable afterwards. Got it. So Picard has data to find the probe that was mentioned, and they get a visual record of a glowy blue ball that shoots lightning at the ship. Hmm. It's like a small moon, but like, you know, like a few hundred feet across. Yeah, very small. <laughs> uh, Picard orders them to set for course for the planet where the Yamato was probed, even with the Romulans following them around. It's probably worth it. On the way, Wesley shows up to get some backstory about the Iconians. You know, mm -hmm. They were once thought to be legend. They colonized or perhaps conquered many, many worlds with incredibly advanced technology known in ancient texts as demons of air and darkness said to travel without ships appearing instantaneously on distant planets out of thin air well that's kind of cool yeah how just, they got back is the yeah <laughs> question <laughs> you know uh, in the voyager we do run into a, a civilization that basically has a similar technology and we never actually see how they get back from their uh, teleporting across the universe uh, sort of stuff there but it happens because, you know, we don't just suddenly not have Harry Kim in the series anymore, so... Picard orders tea from the Replicator. This is the canonical first time that he gets his, his Earl Grey tea obsession. Mm-hmm. So, but season season two begins. Mm -hmm. But instead of getting tea, he gets a potted plant. Well, I guess it might be a really strange tea plant? Yeah. Yeah, it's just a <laughs> potted plant tea, tea bush. Yeah. <laughs> And a bergamot. It's a, it's tea and bergamot cross-fused into a weird little potted plant. <laughs> it's the future. You can do this sort of thing. So the Forge has figured out what's going on. What's wrong with the ship, anyway. It's not a design flaw. It's the probe. He can't figure out why it's affecting the Enterprise, but the probe caused all the malfunctions on the Amato. So there seems to be uh, some, some something was transferred over, you know. Maybe something software-related or data-related. Hmm. Oh, no, data did it. <laughs> so they arrive at the planet. It's a dead world. Major cities were once here, but they have long since been destroyed by large-scale orbital bombardments a few hundred thousand years ago. Hmm. Well, I guess that's the uh, end uh, result for uh, you know most you know M-class planets. Eventually, they rise up with a civilization, then gets bombed by people that are angry at them for some reason, and thus turns into a tomb world for the rest of, uh, you know, the universe. Yeah, Some, something just happens. Yeah. That's just Star Trek's end, end game as everything gets bombed. Yeah, that kind of sucks, you know. Uh, something on the planet is still active, though, and it launches a probe at the ship. I know. Uh, Picard intends to capture it to help Geordi with his research, but Geordi goes, no, stop, don't do that. But the comms have malfunctioned now, <laughs> so he can't contact the bridge. He uh, starts running, gets into turbo lift. That also malfunctions, throws him around the room until he's dumped off onto the bridge, like hurled off of the turbo lift. Yes. The uh, the final bit of that where he is literally being sort of tossed is kind of funny because it's obviously he just like jumped out the turbo lift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they but... don't have the camera angle quite right. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know, up until you know, you know, while he's in the turbo lift, they do some cool stuff. It's like suddenly he's being pressed to the ceiling or you know, pressed to the side, and you know, no, he's lost his visor and you know, being sort of you know, flung around and left, right, and all that. So it's sort of like, yeah, okay, yeah, the turbo lifts could be potentially a, a dangerous place to be in a, a ship wide emergency. So, uh, yeah, maybe, uh, take the stairs. Um, yeah. In case of fire, <laughs> use stairs. Mm. Yeah. Though, uh, in case I of guess, probe, yeah. use stairs. <laughs> <laughs> Though, uh, given how many decks the Enterprise has, it's probably not a very workable option if you need to, like, solve your problem right now. So as soon as he gets thrown off the turbo lift and lands, he goes, destroy that probe, and they do just before it gets to them. Oh, uh, thank you, Jordy. Uh, um, are you okay? Probably. No? I also like that since he's flung out of the turbo lift at high speed, it does sort of heavily imply that the last journey of the turbo lift to the bridge is horizontal. Yes. <laughs> Which I guess, you know, according to the, uh, the, the Enterprise schematics, uh, you know, some of the turbo lifts are like sort of double shafted, I guess. Uh, so, you know, like you go all the way to the top and then over one. So he's able to explain when he recovers that the probe is intended to interface with the computer. It's a computer program, uh, but it's in an alien language. So when it interfaces with a Federation computer, it starts trying to rewrite software that it doesn't interface with and just starts causing some like random things to happen in their machinery hmm. dang telezian uh, uh, software vendors uh the thing is so complicated that he doesn't know what to do with it but they got lucky because they downloaded it with the yamada's log which means that it was isolated and is spreading out whereas the probe scan affects every system on the ship simultaneously which sounds like a terrible thing because you know all these weird malfunctions ha will happen a lot faster then so the ship continues to disintegrate around them and Picard decides that the only option they have is to head down to the planet to see if they can find anything worthwhile where the probe launched so Picard, Data, and Worf head down during a brief window when the transporter is operating correctly hooray so they're not going to be killed automatically by a, you know the, the magical uh, transport device that you know can do that sometimes <laughs> So as soon as Picard leaves, Romulan Warbird decloaks, starts to target and fire torpedoes. The Enterprise's shields won't come online because everything's malfunctioning. Uh, they're about to be destroyed. Then the Romulan weapon's turned off. And then the shields go up. Then oh. they go down. And then photon torpedoes turn off and on again. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, apparently we're using all our systems as a, um, a blinker here and... Uh... I guess that's good enough for uh, signaling the word distress. So, <laughs> so Riker hails uh, Terrace, who's very angry, but is a bit undermined by the fact that her ship is obviously falling apart in the background. Then another probe launches. Uh, Riker tells Terrace to destroy it if she's able, and they are able to destroy it at the last minute. That cuts off communications without even saying thank you. Yep. <laughs> well, in their defense, their uh, communications might be suddenly down, too, so, you know. <laughs> so this confirms that the Romulans probably also downloaded the Yamato logs, mm -hmm. and now they're getting infected as well. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe this is a good reason not to be near this planet, generally. Hmm. So on the planet, they have found a round room with a control console in the center. Uh, Picard examines the console and notes... A similarity to a lot of ancient languages. Uh, data confirms this and uses various language groups to compile a somewhat 
understanding of the language because maybe it's like a root language of a lot of languages that came after which would make sense like you know how latin is the root language for 90 percent of the world because the romans took over everything yeah and uh you know if you go further back there's you know uh you know euro independent uh you know european uh sort of root languages that you know informed the uh you know, latin and uh, greek and uh you know go even further back you can go to some no sort of unknown language that is the root of almost all of them. <laughs> now, that would be really interesting. It would be really interesting to talk to a linguist and ask if this would actually work. Like, if you if you took every existing Romance language and assumed that they all came from a root language that you didn't know, would you be able to figure out Latin? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. Because, <laughs> you know, so, some things in terms of how uh, languages evolved... Uh, are a little quirky it's like oh yeah there's been a, a c shift to something some other uh, sort of pronunciation here uh and so we got you know a different pronunciation and then the spelling changed accordingly and etc cetera, etc cetera. and you know if you don't have a good vibe of how those sorts of things crop up especially when you're dealing with um, you know alien biology things could get a little tricksy so with his uh, new translation ready to go data hits a button that he believes to be manual override uh, instead, it opens a big portal in the wall that shows a coastline, then shifts to some Roman-looking stuff. Mm. Uh, this is probably their Iconian's travel doodah. Mm. Cool. Also, now you're thinking with portals. I, I think that this just shows that they were using a Stargate. Stargate. TNG. <laughs> Most of this stuff is set so far apart from each other, like... There's there's no particular you know timeline overlap reason that Stargate couldn't have happened in the same timeline as TNG. That is true. Uh, or yeah. <laughs> uh, or like Warhammer 40k for that matter. You could have Stargate, then TNG is the Age of Exploration, and then you have the Dark Times, and then the Empire. And then mm -hmm. uh, you know, eventually someone uh, you know uses a time machine to go back to you know to long long ago, and suddenly we have the Star Wars continuity too. <laughs> yeah. So apparently the Iconians could travel vast distances as easily as you'd walk across the room. Some of them might have even left when their planet was being attacked. Yeah. So they could be out there somewhere. Yeah, so uh, like those uh, sphere guys uh, that uh, some of them uh, end up being Vulcans at some point, uh, you know, there could be, you know, some, you know, uh, groups of races out there that have a common ancestor or influenced by a common ancestor in some way. You know, then uh, it might be interesting to sort of explore some of that and like, and then we realize, oh, yeah, like every third sp uh, species uh, seems to look exactly like humans around here. So, meh. <laughs> well, they all have a common ancestor, too. They, they find that in that really stupid episode about DNA. <laughs> well, that just uh, encourages the convergent to a uh, uh, bipedal form. But to uh, look exactly like humans, hmm. Maybe, I, I'd suggest maybe it's a little more recent. <laughs> So the data also notes that this room that they're in is not really laid out like a war room. There's no weapons, no large areas to stage an army. It's just sort of a, like a transporter. Oh, should we get O'Brien down? Yeah, that would help. <laughs> That's very possible the Iconians were just attacked because they had technology that scared people. And yeah. that the mythology was just used to justify the attacks later. Because uh, the people that showed up and, you know, bombed this planet had spaceships, but the Iconians didn't really need that. They, you know, they could just be places. So as they're dying, the portal continues to shift. It eventually shows the Enterprise for a minute, so they might have a way back. Hmm. Data uses the console to access the power systems that are running the portal. And then he is zapped by the console, and the same program that's affecting the ship is now trying to rewrite his brain. 
Oh no, our data's been corrupted. So now he is blind and has no motor control. This is uh, maybe not one of your most iconic uh, moments data, but it is your, your most iconian. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> so the Enterprise appears at the portal again. They have about four minutes between full rotations of the portal, whatever it's doing. Cycling through uh, various locations to uh, have a doorway. So Picard orders everything they have learned to be deleted so it doesn't fall into the Romulans' hands. This seems like a bit of a waste. But no. So uh, if we're going to escape here, we can't just take this uh, tricorder with us? Okay. <laughs> no. uh, through sort of um, broken up sentences because of the malfunctioning, Data is able to suggest that they launch a probe and then lock the probe doors so that it will just detonate whatever power source is powering this room and destroy it. Hmm. Oh, hopefully that works exactly as planned and... Uh... You know, that the uh, the probe uh, situation is not, you know, like miles away from the uh, energy source. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Data talks Picard through the controls, which thankfully the Iconians used a very simple three-color system for literally all of their buttons. Yeah, so uh, basically we're playing guitar here on easy. Yeah, thankfully this was not a keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> sure, it looks like there's lots of different buttons there, but you only really have to ca uh, care about the uh, the color coding. Yeah. yeah. So Picard orders Data and Worf to leave the Enterprise, and then he will detonate the room when they leave, and the portal shows the Romulans, then the Enterprise. Worf leaves with Data, instantly appears on the bridge. They take Data Engineering, where he seems to shut down. It's all very sad. Yes. Then he immediately opens his eyes with no memory of what happened after he got scanned. Hmm. And uh, he seems to be uh, mildly baffled, and everyone proceeds to like talk like he's not there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> his system automatically shuts down and purged all affected memory to get rid of the program, so they can do the same thing. Just reboot the system. Hmm. Well, uh, that seems like a, a reasonable sort of thing, uh, you know, with... Why, would, why didn't we figure this out earlier? <laughs> Back in the control room, Picard starts the probe countdown, uh, locks the bay door. Things start to shake and sparkle and spin for some reason. <laughs> yeah, well, you, you got the uh, sort of control sphere in the middle there, and, uh, you know, it has to go kaboomy at some point here to signal that, you know, this technology is not going to be, you know, salvageable. So... Why not have it have now, happen now Well, before, you know, the entire room gets vaporized? Before anything has gone wrong, as yes. far as the thing knows. <laughs> so the Enterprise reboots its computer, and they're about to beam Picard back up when he is forced to jump into the portal because the room around him is exploding. Mm -hmm. uh, so he disappears from their scanners. Then they find him on the Romulan ship. Oh, well, that's mildly inconvenient, but also really convenient compared to where he could have been. Yep. Could have been so, in front of uh, the uh, Toronto City Hall. Just one of the uh, images that's used. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, hey, I'm back on Earth. Cool. Terrace is surprised to see Picard. Believes that he's the one who sabotaged her ship. But at least she can be satisfied knowing that he's going to die with all of them until he's beamed away. Like, not so fast, Subcommander. Away with me. <laughs> uh, Picard orders them to get away because the Romans are about to explode. Uh, Riker does take a second to give them instructions on how to purge their computer, but then leaves anyway in case they, you know, don't fix their ship in time. Yes. <laughs> Have you tried turning it off and on yet? That might help, guys. Uh, bye! Then they warp back to Federation space. And we do see the Romulans leave, so they were fine. Yes. Uh, 
Yeah, they'll uh, surely uh, will uh, will not try to beam down and uh, investigate, you know, the ruins that we've exploded in hopes to finding uh, clues to some of the technology here. Because, uh, you know, maybe they just don't want, you know, they're, maybe they're in the mood to pretend, you know, none of this ever happened. Yeah. But Star Trek will remember because there will be another gateway in the future that we'll have to deal with. Evolving an they, adversary. They just love gateways. It's their favorite. Maybe some sort of shadow gate. Hey, no, that's a, an adventure game. So, that was good. I liked it. Yeah, yeah some uh, some action, some uh, some mystery. Uh, you know, not a whole lot of, you know, depth here, but do get a few character moments here, uh, including, uh, like, Wesley being used in a reasonable sort of manner. You know, he's not instantly saving the ship, but, you know, he's being shown that he's a young person who doesn't quite understand yet that, you know, all the uh, people around him that are stiff upper lipping it up, you know, are affected by the deaths of everyone on the Yamato uh, uh, you know, ship there. Um, but, you know, they have jobs to do to make sure that they don't die. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, that wasn't uh, part of the main plot line. So mm-hmm. it was hard to fit in. But yeah, he's going like, how can you keep working when you just saw that many people die? It's like, yeah, because if you don't, everyone else is going to die. Born yeah. later. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it'll be, it affects us. But, you know, we're going to be focusing on this right now. And we'll, we'll deal with these things as they, you know, as they, you know, are, we, we have time to do so. Uh, so, uh. Get back to work and, uh, you know, uh, we'll uh, be upset later, I guess. Between episodes, that's the time for it. Yeah. I think it's kind of interesting the um, the way that they have to write this in order to not introduce new technology into the show that they're going to have to then deal with mm-hmm. is to make the way that the Federation is dealing with the Romulans just absurdly paranoid. Yes. <laughs> It's like, oh, yeah, we can't just let them have anything. So, uh, you know, so we have to destroy it to make sure that no one advances whatsoever. So status quo maintained. Yeah. Just... We've discovered not only one of the most important historical archaeological discoveries in possibly all of human history, but also technology that could advance space travel hundreds of years at a stroke. Mm-hmm. But let's blow it up because we don't want the Romulans to get a hold of it. Indeed. It's like, yeah, we could still keep our spaceships, but we could just, like, teleport them around into different parts of the the galaxy now. We don't have to use warp drive because we are able to reach anywhere we need to go instantaneously. You know, it's basically a jump drive. And you could also do it, you know, of course, you know, one person at a time. And, you know, that will be awesome, too. And, uh, you know, there's we could basically build... We could bring the galaxy together, expand the Federation, you know, exponentially by making contact with everyone who's like chill. And then suddenly, you know, you know, the, the Romulans, yeah, they're like, sure, maybe a threat to this part of the galaxy still. But, you know, we don't have to, like, really worry about that. And you know, alternatively, the, the Romulans get it. And, you know, everyone else now teams up against them because, oh, no, there's an imperialistic sort of faction here that is going to be going all out to trying to attack us. And we only have so much time before we can deal with it before they are, you know, able to just walk into our bedrooms at night and, you know, phaser us because, you know, that's totally what they're going to be doing, right? Well, that's the implication. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, there's there's some, you know, depending on how you want to sell this, there's potentially, 
you know, upsides no matter who ends up with the technology. And it's just sort of, you know, going to be a, a, a you know, a story choice about how they proceed with it. But we have to maintain the status quo. So, yeah. You know. And it's just a particularly interesting implication that it is better to never advance, never progress, ruin scientific advancement for generations because you are afraid that your vague, ill-defined enemies are going to get their hands on it and do who knows what. Yes. <laughs> you know, never mind that really there hasn't been any conflict with the Romulans for decades before this point. You know, maybe this paranoia is a little overblown. It's like, yeah, maybe they have a lot of bluster to them, but given that they've been kind of really isolationist for so long, maybe they're actually, like, okay with the status quo. Maybe they're not an imperialist power. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> There's three that, things to think uh, about here. <laughs> that's neither here nor there, really, because uh, it's interesting to think about. Yeah. <laughs> that obviously it's just a writing choice that was forced. You could just as easily say we brought some of it back or we turned it into the research outpost. It's going to take, you could just have an offhand remark of it will take us years to decode this level of technology. Exactly. And, uh, you know, maybe, you know, a couple series down the line, you know, someone mentions, you know, the, uh, the research, you know, from this was what into this new doohickey we have. That's maybe not as good as the, uh, the Iconian gateway, but does help extend our, our transporter range. So, you know, people across the solar system can now, you know, uh, beam each other around. And that's kind of cool. And it basically means that, you know, any uh, location in the uh, in a solar system is able to support any others. Uh, and so, you know, inter-system trade suddenly becomes super common, you know, and you don't have to have, you know, Captain Okana hauling, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> uh, you know their, their, their crappy spaceship around anymore. <laughs> I actually think it's interesting the way that, like, this is this has been ruined now by our idea of serialized TV, but the way that they handled this in original series is actually really interesting. When you look at stuff like this, there, where in this era of television, stuff has gotten to the point where they care a little bit about in inter episode continuity. Mm-hmm. Like they'll make enough callbacks and they they try not to contradict themselves too heavily. <laughs> but it hasn't yet reached like the ds9 thing of everything is a five part episode series yes you know continuity is there nominally but it is not you know the, the the plot of the week is not hinging upon what was fully established so far because it's going to establish a lot of its own stuff and deal with those internally back in original series when they weren't caring about contradicting themselves in every episode or things they'd throw whatever out and then when they wanted to use it later like in the animated series it's like we need to time travel we've (laughs) had the guardian forever just sitting here um people have been looking at it you haven't heard about it again because it actually (laughs) makes sense that someone would start researching this thing and it would not actually involve the crew of a exploration frontline ship Mm -hmm. you might set up like a whole like research base around it and the other guardians like sweet i'm not like caught out in the weather constantly this is nice (laughs) but in this you know they have to reset because it's sitcom era yes you don't hit the reset button then you have to like think about what's going to happen when you write an episode (laughs) (laughs) now the other um the other sort of light implication that you get with this episode is this idea of uh legacy and how you are remembered 
by mm-hmm. generations to come. Indeed. You know, are you going to be remembered fondly? Or are you going to be the demon of, you know, shadow and stuff? Yeah, because they had the thing of, since most evidence of this culture had been destroyed in the intervening hundreds of thousands of years, uh-huh. the only information that they had on them was this mythology that had been built up around the idea of them as these horrifying conquerors. Indeed. Where it seems like the evidence that they find is that actually they were very peaceful, possibly didn't even have any realistic defense against a space-bound enemy and were killed because people were afraid of their technology and for no other reason and then later came up with the idea of them being horrible monsters to justify what they'd done. Yeah, you know, paranoia got enough to folks that the people with the, the spaceship showed up, and uh, they're like, "Oh, I guess they don't have like a space fleet or a space station or a planetary shield, so I guess we could just rain death on them until we start to feel bad about it." And so they did, mm-hmm. which is is something that happens all the time. That that old history is written by the victors mm-hmm. idea. Yeah, and, uh, I, I guess uh, you know, we've in various ways uh, talked about that uh, very uh, phenomenon as we, uh, you know, sort of uh, skewer a lot of the narratives that have been built up about you know history in the modern world. Like, uh, yes, the uh, the folks of thirty years ago were like, yeah, totally. Uh, well, this whole colonialism busy- business was like okay because it brought people to civilization in big quotation marks. Uh, <laughs> But now it's like, yeah, all of that is kind of bunkus because, you know, the people that were there before, they had their own stuff going on. They had civilization. It just wasn't the one that you guys want, but you conquered them and decided to pretend that, you know, you were helping them. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just thinking about this the other day because, you know, we have all these these things that I was talking about in the beginning, these like mythological ideas about ancient civilizations with high levels of technology because we're too stupid to figure out how someone stacked rocks on top of each other that high indeed and have you tried the wheel (laughs) have you tried ropes (laughs) but like these these places did like uh, these historical empires did sort of like uh not overlap as much as we think they did because the bronze age was a very very long time mm-hmm. but like egypt which we go oh my god they couldn't have built most of this stuff it must have been aliens how in the world could one stack stones as big as they stacked stones <laughs> like they were a bronze age civilization we have millions of conspiracy theories about how they couldn't have cut rocks they couldn't have done this they couldn't have moved things etc but Rome and Greece, which are also Bronze Age civilizations with a very comparable level of technology, mm-hmm. we never think twice about the fact that they'd be able to build most of that stuff. Yeah, it's like, oh, yeah, we got, uh, you know, a big temple here that's, like, fairly massive. Never mind that we didn't, you know, hadn't quite gotten uh, iron to quality that we could actually make good use of. You know, we, we were able to build, put this together, and uh, because we are the classical period now we are uh, you know treated like this is totally normal as opposed to magic that requires some sort of outside intervention or something else going on one of the particular reasons that that we hit for this is actually a, a historical thing that we've covered before which ta- is uh, ta- 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 orientalism ta- 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 yeah <laughs> 
But, you, know, you get past a certain point in either time or location, and suddenly it's this mysterious, magical place, lost <laughs> well, in the mists the, of history. <laughs> this one, uh, particularly as called out by you know the book Orientalism, is one of the first times that someone else comes in and gets to decide a culture's history as an ac- as an academic field. Napoleon sent his armies into Egypt to study the stuff that was there. This is an outside colonial force coming in to write scientific literature about the history of a culture that they are completely disconnected from. Indeed. Yeah, we're going to have uh, some experts here, but a lot of soldiers too, you know, just in case. And, uh, oh, hey, we're going to run off with a bunch of artifacts. Laters, guys. Which is how you wind up with a lot of, like, weird ideas about the Egyptians, <laughs> but the um you know the greeks and romans people lived there all the way from the classical period through the middle ages into the renaissance and enlightenment so the people there were reading the same things writing Mm -hmm. down the same stuff living in the same areas there was a full cultural memory of what had happened in between to the point where Latin, the language that the Romans wrote everything down in, had remained a consistent spoken language for the last several thousand years, largely because like we kept writing important documents in Latin. Yeah. <laughs> like the church kept Latin alive for thousands of years in a coherent form. We chose Latin as a scientific language because it was one that a lot of people could speak that didn't change much and remained consistent. So we had such a continuity that we actually know a great deal more about the history of Rome and Greece because the language that they spoke remained contiguous in the same area that they were living for a very long time. And nobody knew came in to write their history, the people who lived there and were the descendants of the Greeks and Romans wrote the history. In fact, to the point that a lot of our history of ancient Greece is actually skewed by the fact that it was written by Romans, which were their own <laughs> invading colonial force of the time period. So, you know, some things are maybe a little, uh, you know, biased one way or the other there to uh, make the uh, the Greeks, you know, you know, fit the stereotypes the Romans had of the, of the time. Well, even the word Greece is a Roman word for a smaller city-state that was on the edges of their empire in what would now be like northern Greece. (laughs) Uh, I forget what the land mass was actually called by the people who lived there, but the Romans went down there, found one town, went, hey, everybody here is Greek. Great. (laughs) Sweet. Uh, Yeah, they're obviously all part of a a massive singular culture here and not, you know, a disparate uh, collection of city-states with you know varying cultures and you know, values and all that sort of stuff going on there they're all yeah. the same yeah it'd be like if someone from the east coast of the u.s started walking walking the other way met one dude went, where are you from minnesota all of this is minnesota yep <laughs> slight wander back to uh you know latin uh, specifically uh you know, being a, a, a thing that has been active for a very long time. Uh, I have a book that is written in Latin in my, uh, in my uh, uh, collection of uh, my, my personal library here. And uh, this is a book that was written by Isaac freaking Newton. <laughs> uh, you know, the, the Principia Mathematica there. And, you know, that's like what the foundations of modern physics, uh, you know, is his uh, you know, writings there. And they were written in Latin because that's what you did. And still did for a very long time until you know you know you know 
I guess like about a century or more uh, ago now, where people were like, hmm, maybe we should be a little bit more accessible to non-experts here. But uh, you know, it's it's very much a a thing that has been you know <laughs> continuous, so to the point that I personally have a text in in Latin. So you know, yeah, yeah. Now, nobody wants to learn Latin anymore. <laughs> Heck, I I wonder if I could learn Latin just by reading it and knowing what it's about. <laughs> Probably not, but some of it maybe. Yeah, <laughs> be a particularly limited kind of full immersion learning. <laughs> Indeed, I would be able to talk about uh, mathematics and physics of Latin in Latin, <laughs> sort of. Which I guess, since given what we use Latin for, that would be about a third. Yeah. <laughs> you wouldn't be able to talk biology or religion, but you know, yeah. most like you'd ha you'd have a decent chunk of science. <laughs> Indeed, though, uh, you know, you know, Newton was still kind of in the period where you know, if you didn't mention God every once in a while in your uh, scientific writings, people thought you were, you know, against the church or something. So you know, uh, yeah, yes, <laughs> yeah. Remember, Descartes got in trouble because you know he wasn't godly enough, even though he wrote a lot about you know mentioning God and here and there. So, mm -hmm. but anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, you're talking about you know, Egypt there, and uh, Egypt has also been you know subject to invasions from outsiders several times, not just the French, but it was the French there that were very much like, oh, we're going to actually get around to studying this ancient culture, and so you kind of had this you know you know, you know problem already kind of present where you know there's been sort of some cultural disconnects as you know you know the uh, you know the your, your ancient Egypt was sort of subsumed into Rome uh, and then later by the Islam uh, uh, caliphates and then you know later by the Ottomans and all these sort of external forces were kind of coming in and altering the culture to make it very hard to sort of connect back in a very you know contiguous uh, way to the ancient Egypt that Napoleon and his folks were kind of interested in so it's like this is both very hard and the contiguous uh, sort of uh, you know aspects of it's also difficult to make a connection with even for the locals so if you were even talking to them <laughs> it's not gonna be much help there uh, because you know you know that's a you know kind of an unreliable narrator given all that sort of happened since that time yeah egypt did have a bit of a blank spot in the middle that people had to figure out later which did make it more of a non-continuity non problem mm -hmm. and you know there are other parts of the world where there's similar or you know, you know problems or places where there isn't so much that you know has been sort of externally sort of more recently you know in the scale of human history sort of been poked at in order for the outsiders to start studying their culture without really kind of doing a lot of you know oh Maybe we should talk to people who are actually here too. So, <laughs> but yeah, it is a a complicated issue, and a generally good thing when you're studying cultures is to not limit yourself to your own background in terms of interpreting what's going on. So yeah. So how about that Roman flexible glass? <laughs> <laughs> how about the self-repairing concrete? That's just, I just read that one. That was really interesting. Oh, uh, how about the uh, the Iron Pillar of Delhi? This is or uh, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, the uh, Stradivarius, uh, you know, uh, violins and how they're supposedly some sort of uh, magical technique that went into them, as opposed to you know just fine craftsmanship. Yeah, <laughs> there's a there's a whole uh, sort of I guess collection of things that people uh, claim are lost, lost technologies, but maybe have a more mundane explanation, like maybe someone just made it up. <laughs> or maybe someone's just really good at baking this this whatever here and uh other times it's like yeah sometimes you 
try to make something out of a common material, and you just happen to get it right in terms of mixtures to make a really good alloy. Hmm. It wasn't really intentional, but hooray, you now have enough chromium in here that it's not going to rust so easily. Good for you. <laughs> Actually, if people are interested in that, there's a... Uh, it's getting somewhat popular, so you may have heard of it, but the, uh, the Mini Minuteman on YouTube does a series of videos talking about these ancient ancient conspiracy theory things and the actual historical context surrounding them that's very very interesting hmm. like the dendera light and the, the battery jars etc oh yeah <laughs> well this might be sort of like a potato battery maybe i don't know <laughs> <laughs> apparently it might have been uh, a curse a curse which i thought was interesting like the the way that the the whole thing's very complicated but the way the jars were found is misrepresented in a lot of the literature that tries to make them look like batteries and it was actually somewhat common for people to find various kinds of pottery with iron tablets or copper rods in them that were inscribed with curses to one's neighbors or enemies <laughs> Nice. This will both confuse the future and bring darkness to my enemies. Hooray! <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah, so you know, there's a, a lot of things that can be, uh, I guess, up for an, uh, a lot of interpretation when it comes to historical sort of artifacts, cultures, etc., etc., that maybe we should just kind of step back a little bit and think about what would actually make any sense whatsoever with regards to what we're seeing here. Maybe it is a battery. Maybe it is just curses. <laughs> yeah. I think it's kind of interesting in the in the way that they, they don't go into it a lot. The way that they talk about like the Iconians is just this random group of people that have this mythology built up around them was kind of reminding me of like something that was pointed out to me a while back that uh, we have a lot of parts of things that are just even in our language historically that refer to these like historical peoples and events that we don't even have a modern context for understanding it's just in there as part of our language and history mm -hmm. like the word philistine it's like who who are these philistine peoples eh yeah we don't know anything about them other than somebody hated them at one point and they were kind of related maybe to this group but you know we can't really rely on them to really give us a good clear picture of what that was about because you know yeah somebody wrote it down <laughs> in the bible that they didn't like them and it's entered our language and that's most of what we know yeah, you know, some, uh, you know, uh, connections are a little bit more obvious, like Vandal. That was a group of, uh, like, a Germanic tribe sort of situation, and they kind of got in some scuffles with Ro the Romans, and then the Romans are like, oh, those Vandals, they're always stealing our stuff and messing up our, like, cities, so yeah. we're going to use that as a slur against them, yeah. <laughs> but you wouldn't know that, so. That's the way that we... We have all these unthinking ways that we think about history. There was a quote. There's like a quote. I can't remember the exact thing. It's basically history is just a continuous argument. Yeah. Sometimes those arguments are well put together. Other times they're just name calling. So, yeah. I think the real key takeaway from any of this is like question anything that's justified for historical reasons. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, people work hard to get history right, but that also means that we got a lot of history wrong sometimes that history has been corrected other times not so much so be careful folks be aware think about what's going on and don't jump to conclusions so i think that's everything that i had in this guy yeah you know i covered some of the stuff i wanted to poke at too um 
Yeah, I guess unless I wanted to like talk about Earl Grey tea, but I don't really want to do that actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's just tea with bergamot in it. It's yeah. it's fine. I like it. And uh, I guess I could also talk about the uh, to the death that DS9 episode where the Iconian Gateway shows up again. But you know, we could do that later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, there's the uh, Riker's iconic line uh, about uh, fate protecting fools, little children, ship state enterprise. Do you do you know what that's referencing? Actually, no. It's referencing Otto von Bismarck, the German prime minister from the 19th century who like, like, oh, I, we're in charge of Prussia here. Maybe we should be in charge of all of Germany. Yeah, yeah. sounds this... like awesomeness. So we're going to engage in real politique in order to do it. And, you know, eventually uh, he gets Germany united. And then he's like, let's like do these other things and not have pointless wars anymore because we need to like centralize our state. So he gets fired. And then later World War I happens. But anyway, <laughs> uh, the, the quote from him is, uh, God loves children, drunkards, and the United States of America. Because <laughs> uh, I guess, you know, thinking about it in terms of, you know, a, uh, you know, a European uh, uh, well-off aristocratic sort of person there, uh, you know, is that, you know, you know, there's this country over there that like makes no sense compared to all our autocracies here. That's weird. <laughs> anyway, that's all I got. Yeah, <laughs> they really had to had to torture that quote to get it to uh, to get it to fit. Yes, the so luck favors little children, enterprise, and the galaxy's favorite game show. Hey everybody, welcome to the Galaxy's Favorite Game Show, where we got some uh, prizes to hang out because we've gotten some, uh, some points racked up, but uh, some of our contestants, their point uh, meter here is like saying 15BQ128, I'm not sure what that means, but uh, we can't quite count it as a correct, so we're going to go with what we can figure out as far as the other uh, prizes and contestants are concerned. Anyway, the uh, first one to hand out is the Even in the Future Nothing Works, because uh, which goes to the Enterprise once it has been infected by the invasive program. And I guess the Raw wins the Yamato as well. So uh, what do they win, Gepwin? Hey, this is boring, but they win a independent, isolated backup system. They, hmm. they still don't have these. It <laughs> would have saved their asses so many times across every one of these series. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They never Indeed. even have a like basic. This will keep the ship running while we shut down the main computer thing. Ever? It's just why. <laughs> Maybe there's a reason uh, later that O'Brien talks about. You know, he wouldn't be uh, you know feel safe unless there's a secondary backup because he's had to deal with all this without that. So <laughs> our second prize is the freaking Wizards Prize, which goes to the Iconians for having magical technology. Specifically, the super magical door of go anywhere you like. What, what do they win, Gepwin? They win having traveled over to the, through the magic portal over to the magic world. Because they, you know, they could have had just staves and whatever. Mm-hmm. They, they just went over there and became the magicians. I think everything that's unexplained in Star Trek should be the, uh, should be the magicians from hell. Yeah. <laughs> Magus 2, uh, the, uh, the wizard did it uh, explanation. I like it. I like it. Uh, our final prize today is the Menacing Geometry Prize, which goes to the Iconian Probe for being a spooky sphere that zaps everyone who drops by with, you know, invasive program vision or something like that. What does it win, Gepwin? It wins some CGI, because, like, they obviously just grabbed a ball and painted it blue because they didn't have any budget. 
Like they could have morphed. It could have looked like something. It could have been been an interesting flying thing. That's a ball. This is a ball. Let's go. Just a, a ball that shows up and goes zap, and then you're then you're having a bad time. Yes. <laughs> you know, uh, making it look like you know an actual probe could have maybe actually add a little something here. Anyway, that's all I got here, uh, Gepwin. Uh, um, I can I can you still read me? My my signal's breaking up. I know it's unlikely set of malfunctions has all happened at once and now Zix has exploded. Kaboom. <laughs> oh well, next <laughs> time I guess I'll be hosting alone on the galaxy's favorite game show. Well, if that's the the case. Uh, sorry, because you know the next episode is well, it's kind of interesting in some ways, but it's also kind of lame. <laughs> all right, all right. The next episode is the Royale, which mm-hmm. is remembered for being one of those really weird "what the fuck" episodes. Yes. <laughs> um, there's going to be very little to talk about. There's no. There's not a theme. There's barely much story. There's nothing really happening. But just as one of these like. You beam down to the planet and what the fuck happened? It's it's a very interesting sort of old school episode for that. Yes. So uh, I guess if you want some, uh, you know, TOS-esque sort of uh, nostalgia stuff going on here, you know, there's that. Um, but I guess it's a, uh, it is very tropey in both the, the thing that they're trapped in as well as the episode itself in terms of Star Trek tropes. Yeah, it's not quite a holodeck malfunction episode, but it basically is. Uh, there's, you know, we gotta solve a mystery, but you know, it's like a quirky mystery, so you have to like stretch your imagination to try to figure out what's going on. There's, you know, uh, Troy's like, I know that they're alive because you know, empathic stuff here, and you know, that's just something that they do sometimes, and yeah. <laughs> it's like we don't, we see the various components before and after this so it's sort of like it's just kind of there for me yeah yeah it reminds me of that thing that people have been pointing out that like just saying here is an annoying writing trope that everyone uses and then doing the annoying writing trope that everyone uses is not actually a joke yeah like you it's know, just you doing the thing, but mentioning it. And there, there is, uh, you know, uh, as I say, lampshading uh, the uh, tropes, and then there's the trying to lampshade it too hard, <laughs> where it's like, oh, you've put the lampshade on yourself because you're just making a fool of yourself now by basically falling into the same things that causes this thing you don't like to be a problem. So, yeah. But we'll cover it more next time because I do feel like there's some, there are some things in this episode that really show off the strengths of this show mm-hmm. because this is basically this this is basically like original series beams down to the cowboy planet yes but it's way better and the reasons that it is way better really play into why this show was just so good and successful indeed so yeah despite the things that I don't like about it, it does, you know, it, it could have been a lot worse if it wasn't as strong a show overall. So, yes. So at least we'll be able to, to, to use it. See, it's a good example. You look at what this show did wrong and it reveals what the show did right. 
Yep. <laughs> which, you know, which is a very fun way to sort of uh, handle analysis. Hopefully I remember to like focus on that when we record next. Yeah. Yes. But anyway, next time we, I don't know, go gambling or yes. something. <laughs> next time on Watchers of Tomorrow, Lame Tropes, the episode. You have been listening to Watchers of Tomorrow, a podcast on science fiction media. Find and follow Watchers of Tomorrow on Podbean, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, Spreader, Digital Podcast, and perhaps many more to come. If you enjoy our podcast, make sure to subscribe for more. And where possible, make sure to rate your experience or leave us a review. You may find Gepwin on youtube.com slash Gepwin and Twitter at Gepwin. You may find me, Dr. Isix, on youtube.com slash Dr. Isix and Twitter at IsixLP. Music is Waveform and Mori's Principle, both by DRKRN. You can also check out the Watchers of Tomorrow Discord channel. Make sure to share the experience with your friends, family, enemies, and alien overlords. If you feel you are suffering from transporter syndrome, please be aware that the next time you step off the transporter, that you, that is now, no longer exists. <laughs> <laughs>